Welcome to the Reclaim Church Podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Whether you're a part of our Reclaim Church family or just tuning in for the first time, we would love to connect with you on Instagram at Reclaim Church or at our website at reclaimed-church.com. We hope this word encourages and inspires you today. Let's dive in. Good morning, guys. Glad you're able to make it. Super excited. Super excited. We're going to talk about one of my favorite things this morning. If you have not been here, um, I guess last week would be the only week that we need to be here. But last week, we kicked off a new series on apologetics. All right, that does not mean you're going to learn how to apologize. It means that you're going to learn how to defend your faith. Because I talked about how there are many people, the vast majority of people, when I've asked them why they are a Christian, why they believe there is a God, many times it's normally, well, I've seen him show up in my life, or I've got this feeling in worship. And, you know, if a Muslim came up to you and tried to convince you of Christianity or of Muslim, and his, his reason for the existence of Allah was that he's seen Allah show up in his life, that probably wouldn't be enough to convince you to transition over to Muslim. It's just not enough evidence. There needs to be some factual proof, right? So we talked about last week the the teleological argument and the um, ontological argument. I can't remember what we talked about last week, but anyway, it was really good. You should go listen to it and check it out because this has been so much information. My mind can just barely even think anymore or process anything. So hope you guys enjoyed it. Last week, we talked about why there is a creator, what there ha- how there had to be a beginning. So we talked about how this um, beginning it had to have happened from a timeless, spaceless, immaterial, and extremely intelligent being. So hopefully everyone got to hear it. If not, no worries. We're going to go into apologetic step two, which is my favorite argument because you don't have to be a scientist in order to um, discuss it. All right, so it's a lot better for you and I because I wasn't really that intelligent enough to even discuss the last one. So here we go. We're going to try to do our best on this one, and we're going to talk about is morality objective or is it just subjective? All right, so before we get into that, I thought since we're talking about morality and um, you know morals, stuff like that, it would be so fun to do a few times types of games. I won't call you out. Yes, you have to play, and those are just the rules. All right, so does anyone know the ultimate test for a self-governing person? It's kind of funny. Everyone's probably um, gone through this test this week or last week, but does anyone know what the ultimate test is? Yeah? Yes, yeah. Okay, so the ultimate test for a self-governing person, it's pretty well known, I thought, but we only got one that knew it, is whether or not, oh, two, there we go. Thank you, Hunter. The, I told you I want to call you out, sorry. Um, but that was a good thing. Um, the, the, the whole point is whether or not you will return a shopping cart. All right, so we're in church. We're in church, so we're going to play a game. You have to be honest, all right? You have to be honest, all right? So we are going to start with raising our hands. If we return a shopping cart 50% or more of the time, okay? I return my shopping cart 50% or more. Don't raise your hand if you're lying, all right? I hear things happen in church. I don't know. All right, so we'll try again. 75% of the time or more. 
Okay, I return my shopping cart 100% of the time. Less hands, all right, less hands, but still quite a few. I'll go ahead and read you the description just in case this is new to you and you're wondering why, does, why is that a test for being a self-governing person, all right? So the shopping cart is the ultimate test for whether a person is capable of self-government. To return the shopping cart is an easy, convenient task, one which we all recognize as correct, the appropriate thing to do. The return of the shopping cart is objectively right. There are no situations other than dire emergencies in which a person is not able to return their cart. Simultaneously, it is not illegal to abandon your shopping cart. Therefore, the shopping cart presents itself as the apex example of whether a person will do what is right without being forced to do it. No one will punish you for, returning, for not returning the shopping cart. No one will fine you. No one will kill you for not returning the shopping cart. You gain nothing by returning the shopping cart. You must return the shopping cart out of the goodness of your heart. You must return the shopping cart because it is the right thing to do. A person who is unable to do this is no better than an animal, an absolute savage who can only be made to do what is right by threatening them with a law and force them with the standards behind it. The shopping cart is what determines whether a person is a good or bad member of society. Sadly, half of you are an animal and a bad member of society. So hopefully we'll be able to fix that today. Now, the second um, really fun thing that I like to talk about, if you've been over to my house for dinner, chances are I brought it up because this is my version of fun, all right? We're going to talk about trolley problems. Has anyone ever um, talked about trolley problems or know what they are? Oh, okay. You guys need to check out um, Cosmic Skeptic. I wouldn't recommend it because he's one of the most well-known atheists, but I listen to him a lot. So we're going to talk about um, trolley problems, and we're going to go ahead and see what your answers are. Okay, so we got the first picture. That is a trolley, and that is a problem. All right, so the way that this works, there is no outside-the-box thinking allowed, all right? This is an ethical and moral question, not an outside-the-box problem-solving question. Do we understand? All right, so again, it might not be practical. Obviously, this would never happen. Only a moral and ethical question. No outside-the-box answers, all right? So this is how it works. You are the person in the middle, and you come up on a lever. You look ahead, and you see a trolley coming at great speed, and you see that it's heading towards five damsels in distress tied up on a railroad track. Don't know how they got there, don't know why they're there, but if you don't do something, those five people will die. Now, you only have time to do one thing, and that is to pull the lever. If you pull the lever, you will adjust the train tracks, and then you will end up killing one other innocent person that is tied up on the tracks. Now, this is why it's an ethical dilemma, is because until once you touch that lever, you are now implicit on murder. Before that, you have done nothing. You have done nothing. You've just walked up on the situation, and there are five people that are going to die, but it is outside of your control. Is the ethical and right thing to do is to pull the lever, killing someone else, but saving the five people? 
All right, so this is the dilemma again, no outside the box thoughts. So there's only two options. Either you leave the lever and you stay completely um, you know, pure in the situation, but five people die, or you pull the lever, essentially killing the one innocent person that would have lived otherwise, but saving the other five. So I'm gonna give you a few seconds to decide, then I'm gonna make you raise your hand, all right? You, you have to play. You have to play, I get to be in charge, and you're a captive audience, all right? So you have to play, you have to choose one, and you have to raise your hand for one or two options, all right? So we are going to start with, and no judgment, and I promise I won't call you out, okay? No judgment won't call you out, all right? No shame. We're gonna start with raising our hands if we would stay pure in the situation, all right? Three, Two, one, raise your hands. <laughs> All right, we got maybe one, okay? This means everyone has to participate. All right, so if you would pull the lever, killing an innocent person by your own hands, go ahead and raise your hand. All right, everyone in the room. Okay, so now we're gonna take it up one step further. There's three trolley problems in total that we're gonna talk about. We're gonna take it up one step further. I couldn't find a picture for this one, but just imagine that that um, other street is not there, okay? It's just one street headed towards five people tied up. Again, this isn't practical, it wouldn't even happen, but the, the, the thing is, it's an ethical question. You walk up on a lever, and if you pull that lever, it sends this um, electric pulse, and it shuts off the trolley. But in so doing, there is someone on the train with a pacemaker, and when you do it, you will kill them, okay? You following me? Again, ethical question, I know it's not possible, but it's an ethical question, okay? Would you push a button, killing the random person on the train, knowing you'll kill them, or would you allow the train to continue? Okay, here we go. We're gonna raise our hands for pushing the button. Three, two, one, would you push the button? Again, all right, almost everybody. Okay, so we can see that everyone's idea is for a greater good. You would rather see, even if you have to commit murder in a sense, you would rather see one person die opposed to five. All right, so now we're gonna go up to the third um, trolley problem. We got a picture for this one. All right, so we got the train, we've got a, a bridge, and then when we have you, you're actually the skinnier person for once, so congratulations. <laughs> All right, so you're the skinnier person, then there's the overweight person. Again, like we talked about last week, don't think I'm allowed to say the F word, not the bad F word, the F-A-T F word, okay? So you got the big overweight guy up on the bridge, and then again, one track headed towards five people. Now, this is the question, all right? Again, this wouldn't really work, it's not possible, but this is how the trolley problem works, so you might see where we're going here. All right, you have the option, to either sit there and do nothing, or you have the option to push the heavyweight person over the bridge and his body will stop the trolley, all right? And as you can imagine, it's going to be his body stopping the wheels. Anyone, I guess no one's heard of the trolley problems, but this was pretty common. All right, so this is how it works. Either you do nothing, or you are going to push an innocent man over the edge. Again, this is just an ethical question. You're not thinking about, oh, maybe I'd go to jail for that. It's just, what is the greater good? Should I push the person 
over the ledge, watch him fall, get run over by a train and save the five people? Or should I just realize that this is a horrible situation, that it should never happen, but the five people are going to die? All right, so this is the ethical question. What is the right thing to do? Again, this is what we're answering. What is the right thing to do? I'll give you a second to think about it. All right, so here we go. Three seconds. We're going to raise our hand if you would push the overweight man. All right, three, two, one. Raise your hand if you'd push the overweight man. <laughs> I don't say that in case you heard it from the back. That wasn't me. <laughs> he might have said the F word, but it wasn't me. <laughs> All right, so as you can see, there are still quite a few people that would push, not nearly as many as the lever. The interesting thing is, it's really the same situation. You're just more hands-on. And that's kind of the idea of murder, is the more that we can um, you know, separate ourselves from the actual cause, the more we're okay with it. Maybe you've seen that movie where they ask them, would you rather have a million dollars and you push this red button, but if you push the red button, someone on earth will die somewhere else. You don't know them, but someone will die. It's a lot easier for people to push the button if they are out of touch with what it is that's going on. All right. Now, honestly, that's how I like to spend my dinner nights out. I don't know about you guys. It's just some fun philosophical questions about right and wrong is just the way for life, in my opinion. Okay. So again, we're going to talk about the moral problem, the moral argument. That comes after our third argument, after the cosmological argument and the teleological argument. That's what we talked about last week. This week is the moral argument. So it goes like this. We've got three steps, and this is how the moral argument works. Every law has a law giver. There is a moral law. Therefore, there is a moral law giver. All right, so the way it works is very obvious. If number two, if one and two, but if number two is true, if there really is a moral law, then number three has to follow. All right, now chances are, I know, Many people in this room might have never even heard of a moral law. You're not too sure exactly what I'm talking about, what I mean by objective and subjective. You barely even know what objective means. So how are we going to get deep into this conversation? It was a joke. I'm not really saying you don't know what objective means. All right, but, but this is the point. I'm going to explain to you hopefully pretty well what objective morality looks like, why I believe that there is a moral law and how this points towards a creator. Again, because we're not going through scripture in this study because we're showing that God is God and you don't need scripture to prove it, all right? Because if someone needs to be told that there's a God, they don't believe in scripture in the first place. All right, so we're going to start start by talking about the moral law. So when I say moral law or objective morality, I'm talking about things that are not just my opinion, all right? For instance, if I said murder is wrong, rape is wrong, torturing babies is wrong, no one's going to stand up and go, well, Corey, that's kind of just your opinion on it, you know? That's, that's not really true. That's just you know, if I stood up and I said grilled chicken is the best pizza topping and people that put pineapple on it should have a mental, mental health check, you know? Like, people might agree with me. <laughs> it's a joke, sorry. People might agree with me, 
But the point is, it's a matter of opinion, right? Complete opinion. There might be great people that like pineapple. There might be great people that don't like pineapple. People are going to agree or disagree on the topic, okay? But when it comes to objective morality, we are talking about things like murder, things about torture, where I can say murder is wrong, and pretty much everyone on the face of the planet will agree, yes, Corey, that is not just your opinion. Because it seems like as humans, we have this impression that has been stamped on our hearts of right and wrong. Now that doesn't mean, just to be clear, that doesn't mean we always obey it. That doesn't mean we don't suppress it, we don't try to ignore it, we don't try to justify it. But the point is, deep down, whether you like it or not, there is an impression on every single person's heart that says, killing other people is wrong. Allowing people to die, torture, hurting babies, hurting infants, those things are wrong. All right. Now, when the Nazi war criminals were brought to trial in Nuremberg, they were convicted under the cause of breaking natural human rights, breaking the moral law, or as some people refer to it, as the natural law. All right. Now, you guys know what the Nazis did. It was some really, really bad stuff, to say the least, right? Now, the soldiers could have stood up and they could have said, I was told by my government. It was a law by my government. I had to follow them. Who knows what they would have done to me if I didn't follow what my government had told me, what my leaders were teaching me to do, what they were commanding me to do. It is not my fault. But yet, nonetheless, the ruling was they were convicted for breaking basic human rights because they said there is a law that surpasses any governmental law, and that is the moral law. If our president decided to take on, to create another World War III, we would still be held accountable by this moral law. It surpasses any governmental Law. This is the law that all people inherently understand and all nations are subject to, all right? So you see, if there were no moral laws that transcended governments, then the allies would have had no grounds to condemn the Nazis. All they were doing was following orders. But because they were able to condemn the Nazis, it shows that there is a law that transcends any governmental law. All right, so I hope you're starting to kind of see what a moral law is. Now, to be clear, all right, we're talking about what better explains reality, atheism or theism. All right, I'm not saying that atheists can't know morality. All right, let's be very clear because people miss this point sometimes. I'm not saying that atheists can't know morality. I know many extremely moral atheists, okay? So atheists can be extremely moral. My argument is, and this is the argument of the moral argument, is atheists cannot justify their morality, all right? So this is the point. We're not talking about epistemology, all right? Epistemology is, um, do I know that murder is wrong? Of course, I agree. Atheists know murder is wrong. I'm talking about ontology, which is how do you know it, all right? So yes, murder is wrong, but how do you know that murder is wrong? What standard are you using to measure that murder is wrong? 
Norman um, Geisler, I don't know if you guys have heard of him, he's a super popular apologist, and he was in this debate that I was listening to, and in this debate, again, they were doing what better explains reality, atheism or theism, and he was debating, get this, an atheist Jewish man, okay? So a Jewish man is who he's debating, and Geisler asked the man this. He says, on what grounds, he asked his opponent, on what grounds do you say that the Holocaust was wrong? And his opponent replied like this, by my own benign feeling. You see, if you have to accept atheism, you have to accept the fact that there is no objective morality. What Hitler did was just a matter of opinion. It wasn't truly wrong, just like pizza toppings is just a matter of opinion, because if morality is truly objective, then there has to be a moral law. And if there is a moral law, then there has to be a moral law giver. And that's why that Jewish atheist man was able to look at an audience of thousands and say what Hitler did was just a matter of opinion. And the question is, what if my matter of opinion differs from yours? What if I want what you have? Why can't I kill you to take it? Again, the question is not the epistemology, do we know it's wrong? The question is, how do we know it's wrong? wrong. So why would someone say something like that? Why would he be willing, a Jewish man, to say that the Holocaust was just a matter of opinion? Because he understands, and all atheists that truly understand what their worldview teaches, they understand the implications of claiming objective morality. And this is what a lot of people miss, people that... um, claim atheism, that they don't believe that there's a God, they don't realize the implications that come along with it. The implications are that if you claim that there is no God, there can be no objective truth. Torturing babies might be wrong in your opinion, but it doesn't mean it's actually wrong. And who are you to oppose your opinion on someone else? He understood the implications of conceding to the fact that there is objective evil, all right? Because if there is no God, there can be no objective evil because there is no objective good. You guys following me here? If you claim that there is something objectively evil, then there has to be something objectively good because you can't have evil unless there's good, and you can't have good unless there's a objective definition of goodness, which can only come from a God. All right, for instance, if you have a car and the car is covered in rust, okay, if I remove all of the rust, what do I have? A better car. If I take a car covered in rust and I remove all of the car, what do I have? (laughs) Rust, it's, it's, it's nothing, it's hard to even, you can't even create rust without a car, all right? Do you see the point? If, if you take the sun, you see you can have the sun with no shadows, but you can't have a shadow without the sun. There has to be a light in order to cast the, um, the definition, the objection of goodness. So you can, you can um, adhere to atheism, but you also have to realize the implications of it. There can be no objective goodness and there can be no objective evil. There is only a matter of opinion. That's all it is, is your opinion against mine. 
And one of C.S. Lewis's great quotes, if you guys didn't know, C.S. Lewis spent the better part of his life as an atheist, and what converted him to um, theism and eventually Christianity was this argument, the moral argument, because as pretty much all atheists will agree, and of course apologists as well, the moral argument is the greatest argument for the fact that there is a creator. And my question is, if that is the greatest argument for Christianity, have you ever wondered why 99% of Christians don't even know what the moral argument is? The greatest argument for Christianity, the majority of people don't even know it. They're not even using it to, um, to spread their faith, and they don't even know it. What did Paul do on every single missionary journey? Every single missionary, missionary journey, what would he do? He would start by going into the synagogues and debating Scripture, showing by facts that there is a God, and for some reason, we've made it all about feelings. Still not, not, not too sure how that happened or why it did. All right, so C.S. Lewis put it this way. The moment you say that one set of moral ideas can be better than another, all right, so Mother Teresa and Adolf Hitler, okay, two opposing views. The moment that you say that another, you are in fact measuring them by a standard, saying one of them to the standard is better than another, all right? You cannot objectively say that Mother Teresa was better than Adolf Hitler unless there is a standard in which you are measuring it to. Because if there is at least one moral law, if we can agree there is one objective moral law, torturing babies is wrong. If there is just one, then we have to say there is a moral law giver. To claim that there is no moral lawgiver, there can be no objective morality. It's all just a matter of opinion. That's all it is. Um, I'm going to go through some kind of opinions that people might raise or rebuttals, for instance. So if you have this conversation with... Um, you know, your coworker or your friend, and they're kind of read up on the subject, I'm going to describe to you how they might reply, all right? So this is how they might reply, and the main argument is always the fact of undirected evolution. This is where it always comes back to, is the fact that you and I don't want to murder people is just the undirected evolution that has worked in past, um, past generations. So the reason, and Sam Harris is kind of the proponent of this. He does a whole lot of debates on it. You guys should listen to him if you care at all about this argument. But, but Sam Harris explains how the only reason why we don't want to kill people is because our evolution has designed us in a way that we want society to prosper. Because when we kill people, society does not prosper. So in order for society to prosper, we cannot kill people. So there's these moral things that we believe as right and wrong, but really all they are is a, um, a sign of evolution. And the question is that you should ask, well, why is prosperity a good thing? Why should we as humans be prospering? Why not the animal kingdom? Look at how much we've done against them. Or why, um, why society in general? Why not just me? Maybe I would create a better society if I alone prospered. And I would create a better society if I had more power. And the way I'm going to get more power is to kill you. And why should I not do it? Because really, it's just a matter of opinion. Alex O'Connor was quoted, and in my opinion, again, Alex O'Connor, he does Cosmic Skeptic. I think he is the 
best debater in all of atheism, in my opinion. The kid is literally 25 years old and can hang his own around Dr. Frank Turek. It is unbelievable. So I don't know if you guys are interested in debates or anything like that, but Alex O'Connor is so good at debating. But nonetheless, this is what he said when he was quoted in a um, debate between him and Dr. Frank Turk. He said, if there are no objective morals, which of course he argues that there are not, if there are no objective morals, then unfortunately, what Joseph Stalin did was not objectively wrong. It was just a matter of opinion. That's what Alex O'Connor said. Richard Dawkins put it this way. And the reason why I'm um, reading off some of the most popular atheists in the world is because whenever you come in contact with coworkers, family members, again, they don't even understand the implications of objective morality. All right, so what you do is you make an argument by authority. And what an argument by authority is, is you take the authority and you put weight on what they've said. So you go, well, actually, you can't believe in objective morality because Richard Dawkins, Alex O'Connor, Christopher Hitchens all say it's impossible to see objective morality through the lens of atheism. So you have to choose, is there objective morality or is there subjective morality? And you make an argument by authority. So Richard Dawkins put it this way. He was asked in a debate if morality is just the product of undirected evolution. Again, this is what they all believe. It's just undirected by chance evolution. And they said, if that's the case, can you really say, asked Richard Dawkins, can you really say that rape is wrong? This was Richard Dawkins' reply. He said, I do believe rape is wrong, although that might just be a product of my evolutionary past. And they asked him again, he said, so are you saying that the fact that we believe rape is wrong is about as arbitrary as the fact that we have evolved five fingers instead of six? And Richard Dawkins' reply was, exactly. The fact that you believe rape is wrong, the fact that you believe torturing babies is wrong is just as arbitrary as the fact that you happen to have five fingers instead of Six. That is the argument of Richard Dawkins. It just happens to be. It's just the way that the evolutionary process happened to unfold as you happen to have five fingers. You happen to think raping people is wrong. But if you happen to develop that one other finger, then raping people would be great in the eyes of Richard Dawkins. The question is, do you really want to live in a world where that is the true view, that there is no objective morality? It's just a matter of opinion. And if it is a matter of opinion, why can't I kill your children? Why can't I take your home? Why can't I seize your possessions? Because yeah, you might think pineapple is good on your pizza, but I think chicken's better on mine. Why can't I argue for what I believe? Because it's just a matter of opinion. Not to mention, if they got their morality from evolution, how can they really trust their morality to begin with? Again, from the atheistic worldview, again, I believe that everyone understands morality. I'm not saying that atheists don't understand morality. I'm just saying they can't justify their morality. But from their conclusion, if they truly did just go through an evolutionary process, how can you truly trust your mind anyway? It's just a moist robot. It's just random cells that happen to develop. How can you truly trust what you think and believe what it is that you say? The great um, Darwin's doubt, I'm sure many of you have heard it, but Darwin put it this way. 
But then with me, the horrid doubt always arises whether the convictions of a man's mind, which have developed from the mind of the lower animals, are of any value or at all trustworthy. Would anyone trust in the convictions of a monkey's mind if there are any convictions in a such mind? She should ask them, why would you trust your morality anyway? It's only been evolved from monkeys. You're putting more faith in in Darwin's hypothesis than he did in his own. You're putting more faith than he did. And to be honest, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Don't have enough faith to be an atheist. It requires too much faith to believe in something like that. I believe it's much easier, much more likely, and much more obvious that we have a moral law written on our hearts. And if we do, if there is objective morality, if there truly is objective morality, even just one law, murdering children is wrong, then there has to be a moral law giver. Now, another um, objection commonly brought up is the fact that we disagree on morality. There can't be objective morality because we disagree on it. And I think probably the best question to ask someone that says that is to look at them and say, if I teleported you back into America 200 years ago in the height of slavery, do you believe that owning African-American slaves is the right thing to do? I have not seen someone concede to that point yet. And this is, this is the point, all right? If they say, no, it's not the right thing to do, then there was always one objective truth. What happened was, is we just suppressed it. Owning slaves has always been wrong throughout all of eternity, but every single country in the entire world at some point has practiced slavery. But the point is we have come to a better understanding. And the reason why I can say better is because I have objective morality. And atheists cannot say that our evolvement is better than slavery because they have no objective truth to claim better. All right, so if you're ever having a conversation with someone like this, they're not allowed to use the word better. They're not allowed to use the word good or bad because that's all objective. They only have subjective truth. Truth, all right? And another um, just way that humanity works is whenever murder happens, there is always a process of dehumanization. Whenever Hitler killed 11 million people, what did he do? He first dehumanized the Jews because there is a law written on our hearts that says murder is wrong. So in order to convince people to murder, he first has to convince people that they're not humans, that they're subhuman. Cannibals do the same thing. They believe that people outside of their tribes are subhuman. And they even do these rituals to pass off guilt, to pass off conviction. Why? Because there is a law written on our hearts that says murder is wrong. And in every single instance, all throughout society, before mass genocide happened, before mass murder happens, there is a process where people take away the humanity of an individual in order to kill them. That will never change. If you are going to kill innocent lives, whether that be infants or adults or people from a certain race, the first thing and the only thing that you can do is take away their humanity because it numbs the person to what is truly going 
on. Another um, common objection is, well, if there was a moral law, then we would all agree on this moral law. But you see, there are easy and hard problems when it comes to morality, just like there's easy and hard problems when it comes to science. But we can prove easy problems better than we can prove difficult problems. If we can prove that when an object drops to the floor, it shows that there is at least one natural law, gravity. Now, it doesn't mean that all natural laws or all scientific problems are as easy to prove as gravity, but it shows that there is still proof. Just because you run into a problem does not prove that there is no science. And in the same way, if you run into a moral problem where we have disagreement, it does not prove that there is no morality, all right? Because if we can agree on one objective moral truth, torturing children is wrong. If we can agree on one moral truth, then there has to be a moral law giver. Go ahead and um, end with this last story. Uh, I was watching, again, I have watched literally every single debate you guys can possibly find. I love doing that stuff. Probably like, I don't know, 80, 90 hours worth of debates I've listened to. I find I learn the most with debates because it, like this, you know, I'm trying to um, not give you any straw men arguments, but whenever you listen to one side, you can feel really puffed up in that side, and then you hear the debates from the opposing side, and you're like, what do I believe? So I like to listen to debates where you get to listen to the best of the best and come to your own conclusion. But nonetheless, I was listening to this debate with Dr. Frank Turk, who is amazing. And at the end of the debate, this man came up to ask him a question. And he had this letter in his hand, and he went up to ask him the question, and the man just lost his composure. He started crying, and he couldn't really hold it together. And um, Dr. Turk walks down, and, and he takes the paper from his hand, and he goes ahead and he reads the paper. And essentially, what the man was saying is that he had just found out the man had just found out that his daughter has been um, sexually assaulted and abused for years and years and years, and he never knew it. She never said anything, never came out, and he just found out that it has been his childhood best friend that has been doing it. The same um, couple that would come over to their house all the time, they would leave the kids over there. I mean, they had a great relationship and he just found after 15 years that this man has been assaulting his children sexually the entire time. And at the end of the question, he goes, if there is a God, how could a God allow something like this to happen? And Dr. Turk looked at the man, and of course he met him with compassion. And he, he expressed his, you know, his loss for him and how no one should have to go through anything like that. And then after that process, he looked at the man and he goes, but if there is no God, what your friend did to your daughter isn't really wrong. What your friend did to your daughter is just a matter of opinion. And actually, his opinion might be right and your opinion might be wrong. The only way what that man did to your daughter is actually wrong is if there is a God, because the only way there can be objective truth, objective morality, is if there is a God. Now, you can get into the question, if there is a God, why do bad things happen to good people? That is the problem of evil. We'll probably get into that later into the series. But that is only, we're only allowed to discuss that problem if we're already looking through the lens of theism. 
Just because you don't like something that's going on isn't proof against the existence of it. You see, you can only believe in evil if you believe in good, and you can only believe in good if there is a standard of goodness, and you can only believe in a standard of goodness if there is a God. So if you believe in objective morality, if you truly believe that murder is wrong, if you truly believe that murdering children, killing children, torturing children is wrong, then you have to believe in a moral law giver. My last quote, um, this is by, again, C.S. Lewis, who spent the better part of his life as an atheist. It was this argument that changed him and converted him over to theism and eventually Christianity. Again, just to be clear, all of these arguments, I'm not arguing for the existence of the Christian God yet. We're first just starting at the fact that there is a God, a theistic God. So we started with the fact that he's spaceless, timeless, immaterial, and intelligent. This week, we talked about the fact that he is perfectly moral. So he's immaterial, spaceless, timeless, intelligent, and perfectly moral. And many people would describe that being as God. C.S. Lewis put it this way, my argument against God was the universe seemed so cruel and unjust. That's how many people live in today's society. They can't imagine a God because of how much evil is in the world. But how had I gotten this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? And that is the question that you have to ask your friends, your family members, your coworkers. What are you comparing this world with when you call it unjust? Again, just to be clear, we're not talking about epistemology. We understand that atheists believe murder is wrong. We're talking about ontology. How do you know? How do you know it's wrong? What is your justification? Because if we can prove there is at least one moral law, if we can agree on just one objective, true moral law, then we can prove that there is one true objective moral law giver. All right, thank you guys, I appreciate it. I'm gonna go ahead and pray and then we'll be all done. All right, so God, thank you for the honor and the privilege to study you. God, thank you that you are just outside of everything that we could possibly imagine. You are everywhere. You're in creation, you're in um, philosophy, you're in science. Everywhere we look, there you are, the author of it all. We thank you for the honor and the privilege to know you. We ask that you would expand our minds and our hearts, that we would have um, just the faith to go and share our faith, that we wouldn't be afraid or timid, that we would see that Christianity truly is the greatest reason for our world, that we would see that nothing else explains our world like you do. In your name, amen. If you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to like and subscribe for more from your Reclaim Church family. God bless, and we hope that you have an amazing week.